stand together, saying, Lord, save us, should rejoice and be glad in it. If you're visiting with us this morning, we want to welcome you and ask you to take the time to fill out the little visitor card you'll find in front of you. You can place an offering place to come around so you can have a record of your visit. We would greatly appreciate that. In the meantime, I'd love to welcome those online who are joining us. God bless you. We're praying that God will reach out and touch you this morning. Perhaps you could join us here in the sanctuary in a couple of weeks. But we're still praying for all of you. Uh, we have several trip members out traveling this week and some that are out doing some other things. If Joe wouldn't mind sticking them in prayer, they would appreciate that. So would I. Uh, we'd love to tell you a little bit about what's coming up for Robert Avenue. But today, if you're on the ministry team, you need to be there at 4 o'clock. We'll have a ministry meeting today over in the admin office uh, at 4.30. We'll have Citrus Cantata. That's going to be in the sanctuary uh, today. And they'll also mark Robert's return. Is that right? So Brother Robert will be back leading our cantata practice again at 4.30. Uh, at 6 o'clock, we will have our business meeting, our quarterly business meeting. So come and be a part of that as well. All right. Throughout the rest of this week, uh, we're going to have a Wednesday night Bible study at 6.30. I want to remind you that we do have uh, ladies' Bible study on Tuesdays at 9.30 in the morning and at 6.30 at night on Tuesday, and men's Bible studies on Thursday at 6.30. So uh, with that being said, men's prayer breakfast is coming up Saturday, and for the first time in a long, long, long time, we're actually going to not meet at our service hall. We're going to meet at Southern Hills Baptist Church over on Worship. That's going to be at 7 a.m. at Southern Hills. Uh, we're going to gather there and fellowship with them and find out if their chicken can cook as good as bacon as ours can. Amen? So come and be a part of that. This men's prayer breakfast uh, devotion will be led there by one of the Robertson Avenue members. So um, come and be a part of that. 7 o'clock Sunday morning. The admin team meeting will be on Saturday the 20th at 10.30. And so I'm thinking that brings us up to date on our current upcoming events. With that being said, let's go to the Lord in prayer. After we pray, we can see five we welcome one another. Father, we come to you now in Jesus' name. We want to thank you, Lord God, for the opportunity to be in your house. And I just pray, Lord God, as we worship, that we will worship you in truth and spirit. May your spirit fall, may your name be glorified, and may we give you praise in everything we do today, church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please rise and welcome one another.
guys make your way back to your seats. I have one more announcement I want to share with you. I want to remind you that um, we are going to be needing some dollies and carts for our upcoming National Collection Week for OCC. I uh, also want to remind you that uh, our rapid response team will not meet for training this week due to the National Collection Week for OCC that's coming up. And uh, if you have packed a team box, you need to drop them off by Sunday the 21st by 12 p.m. That is the deadline. You need to get them directly to Mr. BJ. If you still can get some boxes, you can pick up a few at the office uh, from 9 to 2. Or you can get with BJ and she can get a few to you as well. So if you're still wanting some of those, we can do that for you. All right, with that being said, I think that is all of our announcements. Brother Mark?
come in. It's passed down from generation to generation. It's passed from father to son, from mother to daughter. It's passed there in our human embryo, in our human makeup now, and you have to be born again. You have to be blood-bought, redeemed. You have to be a Christian to get rid of it. Other than that, it's there. And there's nothing you can do about it. That is called sin. Sin. It's there. So, as we're talking about sin this morning, let me ask you, how powerful is the tongue? If you will read just before the passage we read this morning in the book of James, you will see that the tongue is often compared to a ship's rudder. In fact, the Bible actually says that. That's that little bitty, teeny, tiny fin at the back of the ship that points the boat in the direction you want it to go. And that's something you need to remember this morning. It is where you want the boat to go. Just like your tongue says what you wanted to say. Contrary to what you might tell somebody else. I didn't mean to say that. Yes, you did. You didn't mean for it to come out. But it came. You meant that. And all of us said that. And all of us have done it. And all of us have said it. All of us have regretted it. And some of us eat our words even now. Let me tell you, eating words is never comfortable. Sometimes we call it eat your hat, eat your foot, something of nature. I personally like hat with A1 steak sauce. Amen? I like it better that way. It tastes better like that. So make sure when you say something you regret that when you have to eat them, there's some way of comfort back in you. So here's a picture of a ship's rudder. Don't you see how small that is? compared to the rest of the ship. And down there in the corner, I superimposed the picture there of a tugboat bringing in this oil tanker. That's a super tanker. And look how small that little rudder is. The reason why that tugboat has to bring it in is because the, the, light, the load has become so light they won't push the boat down with the rudder and steer it. They've emptied it of its oil. Not in a spill this time, amen? But they've emptied it, and that's the rudder tied it up, has a wheel, and nowadays it has different wheels or different ways of turning the ship. Sometimes it's levers nowadays. But either way, it's still the basic same principle where they turn it left, the rudder turns, and the boat turns left. But it turns from the backside, so it's a little different than like your car. It turns a little bit different. It takes a minute to get there. But that's how they get that ship to turn left, to turn right, to bear off of its course, or to stay on its course. And your tongue is just like a rudder, the Bible says. That tongue can keep you going straight, and that tongue can take you a little left, and that tongue can take you a little right. And because you're human, a lot of times you don't want to eat your words, or you don't want to take your words back, so we will stay on that course, and pretty soon we end up with a problem most of us have, and we no longer have a pilot driving the boat, we have a rudder driving the boat. You ever been there before? You might be there right now. Let me tell you, that tongue, the Bible says, on by hellfire itself. And some of us will sit out there and proudly say, I believe what I say. And I say what I mean. Well, sometimes it's best to not say what you mean at all. Can I get an amen on that? That's right. Your tongue is like a rudder. It will send you in the direction you choose to go. And you being the operative word this morning. You get to choose it. I know the world nowadays makes us believe that you can't control what you're going to say, but that's wrong. Your tongue can only say what your mind, what your brain tells it to say. Contrary to what you watch on television. That means what comes out of your heart is what, what comes out of your mouth is what your mind, your body, your soul is told it to say. I wonder if you could see a potential problem with that this morning. 
Have you ever been just a little bit upset about something? You know, the Bible is full of advice about that. When you get upset about something, it's best to take a moment, take a couple of deep breaths, sit back, think about it, and then speak. Because when you speak hastily, bad things happen. Look at this. It's true. It's true indeed. In fact, the Bible's got a lot to say about the tongue. So we're going to look at that this morning. In fact, in Proverbs 18, verse 21, the Bible says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. Do you love being that person to have something to say about everybody? Do you love being that person to criticize? If nobody can do right, you can criticize what everybody does. Do you love being that wife that criticizes everything your husband does? Do you love being that husband that loves belittling your family and your wife? The Bible tells us those who love it will eat its fruits. Let me tell you what the Bible also says about that. The Bible also says, Be ye not mocked, for whatever a man soweth, therefore that is what he shall eat. Think about that for a second. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. chosen to start with death this morning. You know why I've done it? Because I've been married 23 years, and I've said some things I instantly regretted as I stared death in the eye after saying it. Somebody say amen. <laughs> Proverbs 12, 22. The Bible says, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are His delight. Lying lips. Let me tell you right now, if you're a proverb dreamer, that's one of the seven deadly sins. That's one of those sins that is almost unpardonable. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Lying is something that God holds extremely harshly. In fact, Revelation 21.8 tells us all liars had a part in the lake of fire. All of them. Not just big liars. go to the restaurant and they're going to, how's your food? You're like, well, it good at all? Because you're afraid to tell a lie now, right? Does this dress make me look good? You're afraid to tell a lie. No, it doesn't. <laughs> Am I telling you to hurt people's feelings? No, I'm not. What I'm saying is do what I do. When someone comes to you and says, Pastor, is that good? I just shove more of it in my mouth. Well, what's in there? They're like, what are you saying? I shove some more of it. I didn't lie about it. I just completely, discreetly avoided it like that. My lips are an abomination to the Lord, the Bible says. But those who deal truthfully are His delight. Remember, there's death in your tongue. And you know what? When we're talking about that, I need you to understand. It's talking about physical death. It's talking about spiritual death. It's talking about death in your relationships, death in your family, death all around because of what your tongue can say. And how many of you, please don't raise your hand, but how many of you have been affected in your families and your relationships because of what somebody said? It hurts, doesn't it? Words hurt. Words tear down. Words were never designed to hurt like we make them nowadays. Let's look at a couple of stories in the Bible uh, about where we saw some death coming from some tongues there. Look at 2 Samuel 11, verse 27. This is an interesting story right here, and it's one of my favorites in the Bible. As you know, 2 Samuel chapter 11 is about King David. 
King David was the one who looked over top his castle walls and he saw Bathsheba cleaning herself and so he had her brought to his palace. He knew she was married, yet he ended up having an illegitimate child with her. The Bible says that in order to cover his sin, David had Bathsheba's husband murdered. That's right. King David, the psalm writer. That's right. The one who wrote so many of those songs. I'm talking songs like this one. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. King David wrote that. He had Uriah the Hittite murdered because David had impregnated his wife. The Bible tells us in verse 27 of 2 Samuel 11, when her mourning was over, that's Bathsheba, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. How many of you know that God does not stand for lying or receiving lies? We might think we can get away with it with the preacher. We might think we can get away with it with our brothers and sisters. We might think we can get away with it in our families, with our husbands, with our wives. But God knows what we tell a whopper. Amen. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And remember, there's death in the tongue. He lied to Bathsheba. He murdered to cover his life. And his life brought sorrow to the entire kingdom. You know the rest of the story of what happens with King David. Uh, he actually buries Bathsheba to try to cover his adultery. And no one asks questions of the king. How come your first child born three months after your wedding? Because we don't do math very good in ancient Israel. Amen? So, he, he lies, gets covered, and the child dies. The child dies for him. Later on, David thinks, well, he's gone from it. But I want you to know you will reap what you sow. You will reap what you sow. If you have planted it, it will grow. It will grow. And let me tell you, sometimes you can water it and take care of it until it's something that's a nightmare in your life. So, with that being said... David then ends up with a coup in his family's life. His son leads a rebellion and takes over the palace and the kingdom, and David is mocked, and David is humiliated, and his eldest son, Absalom, gets killed in battle against his own father's armies. His lie brought sorrow to the kingdom, and lies can bring sorrow to the house of God as well. Genesis 12, verse 10, 13. Let's take a look here at a second picture. Now, there was a famine in the land. I love Abraham. We talked about Abraham in Sunday school this morning. And I want to tell you right now, if you're not going to Sunday school, you need to go to Sunday school. I didn't think we were going to get out of Sunday school class on time today. It was such a good discussion. What were we talking about? Abraham and Sarai. That is a lifetime of preaching right there. Those two have all of the modern-day marriage probably that we have today. Somebody say amen. I got tickled at that right there. You know, we talked a little bit about Abram and Sarai. Uh, so Sarai is waiting for God to fulfill his promise. And I know I'm a little bit off subject here, but I want you to know that you need to get involved in Sunday school because it's fun. It's entertaining. And you will learn something. So here's a picture for you right here. Abram uh, and Sarai are waiting for God to fulfill the promise. So Sarai gets the bright idea that I'll just help God out a little bit. You ever been there before? She said, I'm going to help Abram have a child. Even though he's supposed to have a child with me, I'm going to offer my handmaid to become his concubine. He can have a child. It'll be like my child. 
Well, you know, one, two, three, what happens there? Hagar comes in, she gets pregnant, and the next thing you know, Sarai hates Hagar and turns around and gets mad at Abram and says, How dare you listen to me? <laughs> you ever been there before? Shame on you, Abraham, for listening to me. Some of you wives are that way right now. You should not have been listening to me. Really, what you're saying is, I don't know what I'm talking about. And Abram, he couldn't win for losing, could he? I just wanted to bring some peace in the house. Well, ultimately, truly, the story is Abram should have known better, amen? Abram was told to know better. He was the spiritual leader of the house, and he was told to that time, even when it made people angry at him, do what was right. And he should have said no. But you can see there's problems in there, and I want to invite you to come and be a part of Sunday School Life Nazarene Baptist Church. It's a wonderful and wonderful time of studying that. So we're looking at Abram here in Genesis 12, verses 10 to 13. There was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt. This is what he says here. He tells his wife to admit a lie. He says, go ahead and tell this lie. He said to Sarah, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, This is his wife. And they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, that I may live because of you. Did you catch that right there? Go ahead and fib to the Egyptians. Tell them you're my sister. And it's kind of a half-truth because, believe it or not, she is his half-sister. I know. Get it over with, right? But in those days, it was an acceptable practice. Way back in those days, and Abram had married his half-sister, and he looked at her and said, My wife is beautiful. And incidentally, there's something every husband needs to learn from Abraham right there. Look at your wife as though she's beautiful, because she is. Amen? Treat her accordingly and take care of her. And anyways, Abram takes his wife, goes into Egypt, and he says, Go ahead and tell them you're my sister, but don't tell them you're my husband. Deceive them a little bit. Don't tell them you're my wife. Deceive them a little bit. And I'll live because of you. Can I tell you right now that if what we talked about in Sunday school, where do you think Sarah learned to do that at? From her husband. <laughs> she learned how to do that from him. And later on, we actually see Abram doing it again. Because Pharaoh finds out they're married, and he kicks Abram out of Egypt. Kicks him out, and that's where Hagar joins in with the family. And as you know, when you make yourself friendly with the world, you make yourself an enemy. Later on, we see in Genesis 20, verses 1 and 2, we have Abram lying again. Look with me in verse 1. And Abram journeyed from there to the south and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and stayed in Gerar. Now Abram said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. You would think he would have learned the first time. Amen? You would have think he would have learned not to tell lies the first time because he almost lost his family the first time. And now, Abimelech is taken there saying, well, she's not your wife. She might as well be my wife. And he takes her, and God actually has to intervene. But we're learning about lying this morning. And so we see Abram, he ends up getting out. He ends up being okay, if you will, in the long run. But the effect of that lie shows up later on in his family shows up in his family. Look with me all the way in Genesis 26. 
And let's look at verses 6 and 7. And let's find out. Remember, they have a family now. So look at verse 6 here. So Isaac dwelt in Gerar. This is Abraham's son. This is the son of the promise, the one they've been waiting for. Verse 6, Isaac dwelt in Gerar. And the men of the place asked about his wife. And he said exactly what his father said. She is my sister. But he was afraid to say she is my wife. Because he thought, lest the men of the place kill me through Rebecca, because she is beautiful to behold. What's wrong with these guys? I don't know about you. I spent my life trying to pick up beautiful women, not lie about them being my sister. What's wrong with these guys? I wanted my, my I wanted to catch their eye in all things. I wanted to walk around with them on my arm and say, look what I got. And you know what? These guys showed up in another country and said, go ahead and tell them you're my sister. What's wrong with these people? They can't be Baptists, can they? They can't be. Here we have Isaac learning what his father did. And I want you to know that if you will lie in your family, and if you will lie to your children, and if you will lie to your wife, then your family will pick up the habit, Dad, of what you do. And incidentally, lies bring about death. They bring death to relationships. They bring death to families. They bring death to church members. They bring death in all things. Truth is where it's at. Lies. Sometimes the punishment comes quickly, and sometimes it comes later. Remember, David's punishment came a little bit later as Absalom rose up and took the kingdom by force from his father. And Abraham's punishment came a little bit later on as his children learned how to lie from their father. But let's move on into life now. Life. We could spend all that time on death, and we could spend all that time on what lies do. Lies grow, and you have to keep lying to keep it going. And you know, there was a wonderful time in my life where I told a lie. That's right. I told one. And it got me in a lot of trouble. And I ended up having to tell the truth to get out of it. And it was extremely embarrassing. And it was heartbreaking. And it ended up hurting somebody for it. You say, Pastor, what was that? Well, many years ago, I pastored the very first church I ever pastored was Olin. And I worked there and drove there for an hour and a half every day, back and forth on Sunday uh, mornings and Wednesday nights. I had a very old music minister. And that old music minister came to me one day. She said, Pastor, I need you to help paint my house. I know you need the money, and I need someone to paint the house. And church, I took the job. And I lied to her. I lied to her about her cooking. That gets funny, but you didn't have to eat that stuff. She cooked, and she asked me how it was, and I didn't want to hurt her feelings, and I said, oh, it's wonderful. And really, it was horrible. And that whole time, I had to eat that stuff, and it made me sick, and it wasn't good. And in the long run, I had to actually tell her the truth. I just don't like it, and I hurt her feelings, and I hurt our relationship. And I should have just told the truth in the beginning. So how do I do that? You know Take my advice and first time. Keep stuff in your mouth and stuff. <laughs> the Bible tells us lies are an abomination to the Lord. Lies are an abomination to the Lord. Now let's take a look at life here. Look at Daniel verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 8 to 9. Let's take a look at telling the truth, how it brought life into some conquered people. Verse 8 here. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies. Nor with the wine which he drank, 
of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now, God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. Now, let me give you a little explanation of that quickly. Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were captured and brought into Babylon. Their country was conquered. Israel was conquered. The walls were knocked down. The temple was destroyed. By all practical thoughts, their way of life had ended. Their religion had ended. Their relationships had ended. They would never see mom and dad again. They'd never see brothers or sisters again. They would never have children of their own because he is now working with the eunuchs, the chief of the eunuchs, and that ought to tell you what kind of person Daniel was now. If he's working with them and he's working with the eunuchs, he's now one of them. He is a wise person, meaning that he will interpret signs of the times. Not only will he interpret those signs of the times, but he's a prophecy reader. So he's somebody who is extremely intelligent, and he decides, I will not defile myself with unclean food. And I love what Daniel does here. He doesn't tell a lie to the king, uh, to the chief of the eunuchs. He tells them the truth. Because Daniel could have done what most of us would have done. Most of us would have said, I don't want to, don't want to defile myself, so when he brings me the food, I'm going to dump it out the window, or I'm going to put it down in the trash can, or I'm going to eat what I can eat and get rid of the rest of it. No. Daniel tells the truth, and he goes to the chief of the eunuchs and requests kosher food. In fact, he ends up eating just floss, if you know what that is. Let me tell you what floss is. Uh, that is like uh, celery, y'all. That is stringy vegetable food. How many of y'all lived off just celery for a while? You will lose weight, won't you? But the Bible tells us in verse 9, God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. Something more on here. But I need you to understand, Daniel does not know that. We know that because we're reading that. But Daniel doesn't know that. Daniel is of the mindset that I cannot sin against God, that I've got to do what's right, that I want life in my family, I want life in my friendship, I want life in my friendship, I want life in my relationship with God. I'm going to tell the truth no matter what the cost. I'm going to do what's right no matter what's hanging over my head. I'm going to keep on walking, keep on talking, keep on believing God's Word no matter what's coming down this world for me. Daniel did not know that God was working on the chief of the eunuchs. And you know, I've often been questioned, what does that mean? God was working on the chief of the eunuchs. God was working in his life. And I would imagine just one of those guys sitting down thinking a little bit what that entailed. That that chief of the eunuchs must have been watching those Hebrew children. He must have been watching them pray. He must have been watching them read and study God's Word. He must have watched them be devoted. He must have watched them love each other. He must have watched them be godly men. The Bible says God was working on him. And Daniel finds grace in his sight. Daniel comes up to him and says, I want to stay faithful to this God. I want to stay faithful to my way of life. I want to stay faithful to my religion. I want to stay faithful. I want my relationship to stay true. And the eunuch agrees and finds grace. Remember, Daniel didn't know that God was working. In fact, Daniel didn't know what would happen. The eunuch had every right to have him removed from the program, to have him killed, to have him exiled, to have him imprisoned, or placed somewhere else. Remember, Daniel's a slave. He has no right at all. He has no privileges at all. Daniel doesn't know, but he decides to stay true. Can I ask you a question? Is there a part in your life right now where you don't know what's happening and you don't know what to do? I want to encourage you this morning to stay 
Spirit. I want to encourage you, stay in God's Word. I want to encourage you, stay in a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you, walk truly and humbly with your God. Amen. I want to encourage you to be with Him in truth, not in a lie. Remember, Jesus pursues the course. Remember, it's a ship's life. And you get to choose which way that boat goes, whether it goes left, whether it goes right, whether it stays right down the center. I want you to think right now about that narrow road right down the center. And how your tongue moves. Does it move you to the left sometimes? Does it move you to the right sometimes? Does it sometimes back you up? Does it sometimes make you stumble and fall? Or does it sometimes take you the way you need to go? You get to choose the course. And you get to set the direction because you tell the flow what to say, contrary to what you might tell everybody else. I didn't mean to say that. Yes, you did. Yes, you did, because the Bible tells us. Look with me in Matthew 15, verse 19. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from your heart, and they defile the man. How many of us Christians curse or through favors? How many of us swear? How many of us bring about unwholesome talk? And you know what that's a picture of? of what's in your heart. Listen to what Jesus says here in Matthew 15, verse 18. Those things which proceed out of your heart comes, what come out of your mouth comes directly from your heart. Those things which proceed out of the mouth come from your heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, you know what that is? It's lies, blasphemy. It's a picture of what's in your heart you there. Up until I pastored Robertson Avenue, I've always had to work a second job my entire Christian life. And I remember working there and they would always say, why are you different? I would tell them it's Jesus Christ. And they said, well, you can't do the things we do. And I said, no, I can't do that. They said, why not? I said, because my heart is different than your heart. My heart is different. I can't let those things inside.
Look at verse 37. For by your words we will be justified. And by your words we will be condemned. Can I ask you a question? What did your heart say this morning? Pastor, you've been filled with the Holy Spirit speaking to you this morning. You've been filled with the Holy Spirit. No. For by your words you will be condemned. And by your words part of Rockstown. Perhaps God's telling you, you need to get saved. You've been fighting that for a long time. Perhaps He's telling you, you need to surrender in baptism. And you've been fighting it for a long time. By your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. I love pastoring a Baptist church. And I like to poke fun at Baptists because I am a Baptist. Amen? We have a tradition in a Baptist church. We have something called the altar call. That's one. At the end of the service, we have the invitation. We have a prayer. We sing a song. And I say, come on. Come and put Jesus in your heart. Come on. Come and be a part of Rocks Avenue. Come on. Tell us what God is calling you. Sometimes people come. Sometimes people don't. It's called the invitation. Why do we have an invitation? Because the Bible tells us, by your words, you will be justified. By your words, you will be Look with me in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Listen to what the Bible says on how to get saved. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. That's why we invite you to come down the aisle and tell everybody, I have made Jesus my Savior. For with the heart one believes in the righteousness. And look at verse 10. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. By your words, you will be justified. By your words, you will be condemned. You know what else Jesus said? Jesus said, if you deny me here on earth in front of these men, I will deny you up in heaven in front of my Father and the holy angels. By your words, you will be justified. By your words, you will be condemned. Have you been sitting there for far too long saying, no. One of these days, you're going to have to stand up in front of God and the holy angels and explain why. Oh, I was afraid someone would look at me. I was afraid somebody would know. It's time to start living truly. It's time to start living truly. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Are you ready to put Jesus in your heart this morning? Are you ready to get it right with Christ this morning? Perhaps you're one sitting there saying, I am a Christian, Brother John, but I haven't been living right. I've been living a lie. And things have started coming out of my mouth that you were surprising me. Well, God, take me back. I want you to know God is ready to take you back. I want you to know God has never left you. I want you to know that you can repent and you can come back and you can be filled with the Holy Spirit and you can go back to God's work today. I want you to know that perhaps God is calling you. Why would you have it? You can come down the aisle and say, Pastor, I need to get a family, into a church where I can be a part of what God is doing. Perhaps God is calling you to some other ministry or something else. Whatever it is, would you be willing to surrender to it today? Remember, by your words, we're justified. By our words, we are condemned. The Bible often makes me smile when it brings such practical thoughts to me. Remember when we first started our message? We had that message of the tongue is on fire. Set on by fire of hell. You know, 
of us have been on the other side of someone else's pain. We've been scorched by it. Have you seen those drawings of that man yelling at his children and out coming out of his mouth with arrows and experiencing every little child walking? Have you seen that husband yelling at his wife and his tongue with a sword coming out poking right into her heart? Or have you seen that picture of the woman and she's screaming at her husband putting the sword into his hand. That's you and I. Perhaps that's the God you need to come to. You need to come and get it right with Him. Your tongue has been set on fire. So how do I get it cleaned? How do I get it put out? You know what? You know what? The Bible tells me in John chapter 3, you must be born of the water and the Spirit. And you come into that. commented that I have the shortest tongue they've ever seen. You know why? Because in 30 years I've had to bite it quite a bit. Now. I found it to be a lot more beneficial to bite your tongue than to let it be cleansed. Bite it. Bite it. We're going to close in a word of prayer. Just focus on prayer. You need to get your heart pure because you've been on the receiving end of somebody's tongue. you're one of those who have been so often full of that tongue of fire. You can come today and let Jesus cool that fire. Let him put that fire out. Because no man can do it, but God, but the church, God can. Perhaps you're the one sitting there today saying, Pastor, I need to put Jesus in my heart. Would you be willing to come and ask Jesus in your heart and life today to be saved? Whatever it is, we're going to give you an opportunity to come in our invitation. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you now in Jesus' name. We want to thank you, Lord God, for your word. And I pray, Father God, you reach out and touch us this morning. And if there be anybody that needs to come to know you as personal Lord and Savior, anybody needs to get their heart right with you, would you let today be that day to give you the praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Would you come with me sing?
we have our quarterly business meeting. Come in and be a part of that. Don't forget Christmas and Chiropractic 430 here in the sanctuary. Don't forget um, Tuesday night, ladies' Bible study, 630, and in the morning at 930. Not this week. That's right, National Collection Week. So, uh, now I imagine they go to Does that go the same for the men as well? Okay. have it then. So I don't know about the guys, but uh, yes, sir. You meeting on Thursday? Okay, but not 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 Thanksgiving night. Praise God. So the guys are meeting this Thursday, but decided to stay home because they want to stay married. Amen? <laughs> All right. So we have that. Yes, ma'am. That's why I said it one more time. Uh, yes, our freezer is full of turkeys. We still need more to give away. I know we still need more to give away. We, we have several of those spoken for, and so we are really still picking up donations for that. We still need help with that. We want to give away, our goal is to give away 30. We have 18 spoken for at the moment. And so keep paying for that because we're going to get out a little bit this week and see if we can give out a few few more. And uh, if you need that or you want that, let us know. Let me and Sister Amber know, and we'll get you in on that as well. So we're still taking collections of uh, stuffings, of gravies, of, of I don't know, Whatever goes in a uh, Thanksgiving dinner. And, of course, if you want to donate frozen turkeys, even though we have no room in the church freezer, we can put it in other freezers. Uh, if you bring it to us, we will get it to you. Um, with that being said, I think that's all of our announcements. Anything else I've forgotten? Yes, ma'am. Sure. You bet. Just take thirty dollars of that honey barbecue. Amen. All that stuff. All right. Uh, with that being said, let's close in a word of prayer. I think that's everything I have. I want to ask Brother Bud Hatter. Would you close with prayer today, sir?